0: Welcome to the path to CPO, where we peel back the layers of success and delve into the journeys of the most dynamic chief people officers. I'm your host, Nelson Sibalingam, CEO and co-founder of HowNow. Together, we'll explore the trials, the triumphs and insights of these trailblazers across people, culture and HR at some of the fastest growing companies in the world. This is not just their story. It's a roadmap for all aspiring people leaders. Tune in, rise up, and let's embark on this enlightening journey together. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. No problem.
0: Deborah. I want to start with your journey and your story. What has your career journey been like to becoming a Chief People Officer?
1: Well, I started out my career um, working in marketing and advertising. I really wanted to be the first woman president of the United States, which still could happen. Um, but I I really wanted to um, have a role where you could have an outsized impact. And I thought that that was really through politics. But then I realized it wasn't what the president said. It's what the media said, the president said. And I switched gears and started to um, study marketing and advertising. And then started my career as an account person and then a strategist. And I did that for several years working at different uh, agencies. And then I went to work in Asia for a few years, still in marketing and advertising, came back, um, did more of that work and then got married and had my son. And when I had my son, I realized I needed a nine to five job in advertising and they, and I called every recruiter I knew in town and they said, uh, what do you want to do? And I said, I need a nine to five job. And they said a nine to five job in advertising. And I said, yeah, otherwise I will never see my child. And that's not the intention here. And there was a woman going on maternity leave. Um, and they said, well, she works nine to five job. She's a recruiter. Would you be interested in filling in for her? And I said, sure, I'll try it. And I did that for, well, for a few months while she was out on leave. And I really liked it. I liked helping people find a role that they could be great at. I knew what I was looking for because I had hired other people. And I decided to become an executive recruiter. And that led me to have more flexibility and the ability to also um, meet people and help them to get where they wanted in their career and also to work with clients, which I really liked doing, to help them find amazing talent. After a few years of doing that, it wasn't enough for me. I felt like I was missing something in the sense that you only saw it from one perspective. You saw um, there was a gap in their talent. They pursued you to find that person. You find that person, and then you're on to the next thing. You don't really understand the impact they're having. You don't really understand their talent strategy. You don't really understand um, really the strategy of the company and how it all works together in a bigger picture. And that was missing for me. And it felt emptier. I decided at that point <clears throat> that I needed to change gears. And I I started to call different um, different headhunters and say, you know, I'm thinking about pursuing a role in, in human resources. And I really had no right to do that because I only knew talent acquisition. Um, but finally I got a interview with WPP, the head of talent there, which is a massive advertising and marketing firm and holding company. And I spoke to the head of talent there and she said, you know, Deborah, I think you could do human resources. um, And based on your experience, I'll keep you in mind. And then two weeks later, I got a call to be an executive director of talent at a division of gray advertising and i advertised, i interviewed for the job and i got it and i oversaw all of talent acquisition all of hr all of benefits all of learning development the whole as i say the whole enchilada again a job i had no right to have but what i what i did was endeared myself to my team to say there are pieces of this that i know really well and there are pieces i know nothing and you're i really want you to reverse mentor me and that is how I became a chief people officer because the next role that I got, that was the actual title. And I became the, um, I've now had several chief people officer yeah. roles in in the interim.
0: I imagine that that transparency at the start, when you f- made that transition, you know, at that first time, saying that there was things you didn't know, being very open about that, did that really help in terms of learning quickly, learning from the right people, really developing the skills that you needed to do the chief people officer role.
1: Absolutely. And I think that in this job, there's and in human resources for that matter, there's just too much to know. With the changes in regulations, the complexity of the workforce now and where people are, um, all the different kinds of benefits, it's just gotten so much more complex. There is no way you can know it all. So to have people that are expert in their world work with you um, is is invaluable. And also you want to be able to ensure that um, people you're using people to their best ability and what they can bring to the table. And so I also really believe that you should be cross training people as well. So, yes, that reverse mentoring part was was absolutely invaluable.
0: Yeah. One thing I did want to ask you about as well is kind of what originally inspired you to make that switch. But it sounds like part of it was already there from that recruitment angle and the talent angle. You really got to that point of getting people in a role, but missed the gratification of seeing how they flourished in the role or what they did or what the impact was. It's kind of like that was the missing piece of the puzzle. You were involved up until that point and you never got to see maybe the best parts of placing someone in a role.
1: That's exactly right, and what you realize is that you're only seeing people at the beginning. Um, And the one of the great satisfactions of my career was being able to identify people who, on paper, maybe didn't look amazing, but you, when when you talk to them and you really understood them, you you could say you're you've got you've got seventy five percent of what this role needs on paper, but you are 100% of what they actually need. And then I was able to develop a reputation for being able to really spot talent. And even though they didn't tick all the boxes, I'm a big believer that you should hire someone with 75% who who can be amazing versus a person who ticks 100% of the boxes and is really a, a mediocre player.
0: Yeah. Did that kind of ability to spot things that weren't obvious help you once you got into the CPO role, because I guess when you're, you know, you're looking for people to upskill internally, like you said, cross train, internal mobility, that probably sounds a bit like a superpower being able to spot where, you know, there's not exactly an obvious candidate, but you can say, look, I think you'd be a good fit for this role. Did you see any of that happening in that crossover?
1: Yes, I, I absolutely did. And part of that is um, being able to have really good judgment, which is critical in the role of chief people officer, you, you get a sense for people. You actually, a job description is just a job description. It's just a piece of paper again. Um, But really to understand what motivates people, how do they, how do they problem solve? What's their passion? Those kinds of things make all the difference. And it really has helped. You're absolutely right.
0: Thinking as well about your marketing background, some of what you said there, Obviously, I'm unfair for me because I have a marketing background, so I'm thinking in these terms yeah. anyway, but the idea of understanding what motivates people, what problems they're trying to solve, did you transfer any of your marketing skills and knowledge to the CPO role as well? Because that is part of it, isn't it? Like understanding your audience is marketing 101, without that, everything else falls apart. But maybe there's a similarity with being a CPO.
1: Absolutely. And absolutely. And you hit it on the head because really what I do is still marketing. What I do is I acquire talent and you have to understand how to get a new customer, if you will. And what are the different segments of the market? You have to understand um, how to appeal to them and acquire th- that talent, new customer, and then your customer loyalty, which is, if you think about it, retaining employees and having them become even better. And that is all about the, the, loyalty programs, if you will, for um, for your people. And when you think about your um, your talent as your customers, it changes everything. Um, and so absolutely my my marketing background um, had a huge impact on the way that I approach talent. And also, I believe it really is a great way to look at it because you're really treating people in a way, that um shows you and is how you care about them
0: thinking about the the sort of taking the marketing analogy to its full conclusion but like you said it's about loyalty it's about retention it's also about keeping people engaged over time and i guess part of that comes from see people seeing value in learning and development people development opportunities does anything come to mind in terms of advice to Maintain buy-in over time to ensure that there's no atrophy of that engagement with your with your audience or your customers. We we kind of touched upon.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm I really pride myself on is being able to introduce innovative benefits that really um, help people to stay and do their best work. Um, one example of that would be a program that we developed. Because we saw that a lot of women um, were leaving the workforce because they were having a child um, or uh, they had a new child in their family and trying to make work, work for them in this new situation was really difficult and they were dropping out. And we had a lot of talented women who just couldn't come back after leave. And so that was terrible. That was a a huge loss for the company. It was was a loss for them because they did want to come back. They just couldn't figure out how to do it. So we developed a program called Fourth Trimester. And in that program, when a new parent was coming back to work, we assigned them a coach who worked with them and uh, their manager to help navigate the tricky moments of coming back into the workforce. And through that program, They were able to figure out those things that were holding them back from coming back and and being great, but also for the manager to be able to help them to say, I don't need you to start at nine. You can start at 11 if you want to start and then work till seven. whatever it was. They worked together on it. And we were able to retain so many more women um, who that who flourished and were so appreciative of that is and also it wasn't just for women it was actually all for people who had a new child in their home um and and what i learned from that is sometimes when you when you think about things differently more innovatively you can come up with a solution that yes it costs us a little bit of money to have this coach but ultimately the respect and admiration we had from our people to help them stay the ability to retain amazing talent, all of that was so much more worthwhile um, than just saying, yeah, sorry, we don't, yeah, we understand you're not coming back, bye. So this is this is where you're absolutely right. It, thinking about things a little bit differently can really help you ultimately and and coming up with solutions that can make all the difference.
0: I guess part of that as well is that it's only a short term, maybe increase in spend, but in the long term, If the retention levels are better, then the costs associated with that aren't happening of replacing staff or finding new staff. You know, it's a short term investment for a real long term benefit as well. I suppose that mindset shift helps.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the other part of it is that the knowledge that was lost, the the institutional knowledge that was lost from these people um, was huge. All of those aren't hard costs necessarily, but they definitely make a difference. And just the cost of having to find a new person that was as awesome as the person that left is a huge cost. So one little bit of good uh, by doing a program like that led us to have other amazing people come to join the firm because of it and then stay
0: yeah I guess that's the other side of the coin as well the more you do these great things internally that really benefit people and show you care about them invest in them the more it increases the likelihood that other people will hear about it or you have a stronger employer brand or you know people are going onto Glassdoor or sites like that leaving reviews explaining how much they're benefited from these initiatives then the the other side of the coin is you're attracting great talent
1: as well totally
0: nice um one thing I wanted to ask you in slightly more detail, were there any other reasons behind that transition as well? Like obviously the the fulfilling part um, needing that nine to five, but were there any, anything that naturally propelled you towards people? Have you always been maybe like a people person? Was that, was that always there?
1: Yeah. Yes. I, I've always been a people person. Um, I actually really enjoy people. I like, I like meeting people. I like learning about people. I, I, um, it was it was an it was easy for me in that sense. What was harder is learning the the technical skills around um, great human resources. And things have changed so dramatically in the last few years about how we work and, and the ways we work, um, that I don't think you could have gone to any school particularly <laughs> to learn all this stuff. You just had to learn it through living it, as you know.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, for me personally, by the time I finished my degree in marketing, everything that I learned was almost redundant because we were coming right into the age of more paid ads, more SEO, more social advertising. And then you just learn on the job. And I think, like you said, just being honest and upfront about where my own gaps are was really yes. helpful in that moment. And there were a lot of them at the start. So it was good to to be that yes. self-aware.
1: And there's, it's going to happen your entire life. There's just... You- you you can know more just by living it but there's always going to be stuff that you don't and i think you're right being humble about it and saying i really just don't know and having other people help you is huge it's really important um and i i really appreciate that i really appreciate when people say you know i i don't know but i really want to learn
0: yeah it's great to have that openness I love hearing about that that win that taught you a great lesson in the sense of that fourth trimester initiative. Was there anything that, I don't like the word failure a lot of the time, but anything that maybe didn't go as planned and you also learned a great lesson from that experience as well?
1: Yes, um, of course, there have been many times where I've learned a great lesson. Um, But I think one of the things that sticks with me to this day is when I was working for an innovation management consultancy design studio called SY Partners, which works with the... C-suite of companies to help them make the bold moves they need to make in order to move their, their company along. And we were looking for extraordinary people who not only were great at consulting, but also didn't want to work at a firm like a McKinsey or Bain or a Boston consulting. So they love consulting, but they didn't want to work at those kind of companies. They wanted to be able to work with clients, but also, um, were extremely creative. They were in the weekends, they would be making, you know, coffee tables out of wine crates. Um, so they had that ability to do, to be very creative thinkers. They were consultants, but not consultants. They had incredible analytical skills, um, but yet were magical people who, you know, people just were charmed by them. And it was just so, so much to ask of one person. Um, and it was really hard to hire for people. We'd, we'd get 10,000 resumes and we'd hire one person. Um, and what I what I found was that we were really what I call turduckenning the jobs. And what I mean by that is that, you know, a turducken, you know, maybe you've heard is like a turkey or a chicken inside a duck inside a turkey. It's, it's like, and what we were doing is taking a job and putting an analyst inside a, um a consultant inside of a creative and it's it's too much it's too much to expect one human to be able to do all of those things and do them well and so the the fa- the failure of it all was putting so many filters on one person that you basically cannot find the person um and so what I always look at now is are we toductioning t- the job are we putting so many things into one bucket to find this innovative person that you're never going to find them and instead can you pull it apart and really look to see what is humanly possible in one person and um that that was a huge lesson for me when you pulled when you put together all of these things into one you're making it so hard you actually can't hire anyone yeah.
0: If you'd have asked me to write down any word we would have stumbled on today during this call, I would not have written down to Duncan, but I've heard that one before. And it's so true, though, because you end up doing this Frankenstein's monster of stuff that you want. And like you said, it doesn't apply in the real world. And I imagine like once you got into that CPO role, that and the experience in recruitment, it really gave you that ability I guess to unpick and look for what was actually at the core of what you needed and therefore that probably helped you find the right people because it's not like we're looking for a person who can do x y z all these other things it's like actually you know this person needs to do this one thing or they need to have these character traits so did you did you feel that that experience kind of helped you in this
1: yes it did and i and i now i really do think about what is the human who's going to take this job or who is the human that's going to take this job um and what is really What is really important for this role versus what is, you know, um, nice to have. And that's true of any job. But I think sometimes people are like, well, we can only hire one person, but we need really three people. It would be three people normally, but one person needs to do this job. And you're just making it so that this person can succeed.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's not. I guess the mindset if you think about skill building instead is maybe it doesn't need to be one person. You actually say, well, these are the skills we need in the team. And therefore, you know, like you said, maybe those people with the side hustle, this person on the side loves graphic design and maybe we're lacking design skills. And maybe that person wants to formalize it and upskill in a way. And maybe this person actually has a real knack for writing and they could fill in the PR side of, of maybe a role. So maybe splitting it out and thinking on a skills basis, would, would you say that's fair as well?
1: Yeah, no, true. Absolutely.
0: Moving on slightly, I just wanted to say, ask you about your most recent experience. So you've been at um, Astound Commerce for about eight months nine months now, isn't it? I believe. And I'd love to know kind of what your first steps were when you got into the role. Like, if someone is a CPO joining a company, where should they start? How did you start? And, and what was your experience?
1: Well, it's been a great. It's gonna been a great eight months um, at Astound. And one of the challenges that we have is. We have um, hundreds of people in Ukraine. We have people all over the rest of the world. Um, We we work in helping clients to um, develop their e-commerce. And what I've found is that um, in some ways we are a very sophisticated um, company that's been around for 20 some odd years. And in other ways, we're like a startup. (laughs) we we don't have some of the things that you would expect at this point in our journey. So one of the things that I have been focused on is to really understand what are the things that we need to really develop at this this time. One of them is um, being able to have a more streamlined approach to performance management. Um, That was something that became very clear. We had a lot of different ways of doing things around the world which made it very complicated to operate. How do we streamline that? Another thing that um, I've been really focused on since I've been here is to make sure that the people that we have um, are able to do their best work. So meaning that to give them more flexibility. So, Um, working from different places, being able to be safe because of the war in Ukraine, um, ensuring that um, we have good backup plans if people aren't able to do what they need to do. And so that, so that our operation is seamless. And then also just making sure that from an L&D perspective, that as the, as things evolve so quickly that our technical skills are, Second to none for our people and that they have the access to learning and development at any time to be able to get to the next level, pursue areas that they're interested in and just um, ensure that they're able to to become a even better version of who they are today at work.
0: Hearing you mention those things, they all feel personally things I would buy into quite easily, right? You're looking at the context of the organization, maybe looking at what's missing so therefore we can have maybe some immediate impact. Uh, developing skills to keep up with the pace of change. They all seem like things people can get behind quite easily. And did you find that when you came in and said, these are the priority areas or this is the you know early things we want to do? Did you find that people bought in quite easily to, to the ideas?
1: Yes, I think that they've been wanting them for a very long time. And it, it seems like now is the right time.
0: Were there any people in particular that you worked with early on? You know, like I know a lot of the time people maybe ask who, who's the first port of call, which departments should I work with? Which job roles should I kind of try and align myself with? Or Especially during that problem diagnosis part, but were there any people in particular you found really useful to lean on as you joined the company?
1: Yes. I mean, there are many, but I think the most important thing is to really go far and wide when you're first joining. It's not just about the senior people. It's about talking to people in all kinds of roles, in all levels and making sure that you're really understanding it from a multitude of different perspectives of, of about what's going on. And so that those first you know couple of weeks particularly was just um having a lot of um having a lot of dates if you will. And um, learning about the people and they um, and making sure that you had a really good grasp of what's working, what's not working. And I have to say that the people are some of the kindest and smartest people I've worked with. And I feel so lucky, lucky to be there and deeply, deeply helpful to me in order to understand the things that I should be focusing on um, in my first few months there.
0: That's really awesome to hear. I think you nailed it earlier when you said, you know, if we were thinking about like a marketer, we think who are customers and, there's people all across the business who are our customers in different ways so building that personal bond and understanding what motivates them what their problems are early on I'm, I'm sure it stood you in in amazing stead and it's cool to hear that you've got a really good culture there and i guess if it felt that way it probably felt that way quite quickly as well which is, which is nice
1: it is and i like i said it's it's you can't i can't say enough good things about that
0: to think a little bit about something outside necessarily of the sort of career path, but I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you've done leadership coaching for um, quite some time. And I wondered if that had had any sort of spillover benefits into uh, what you do as a CPO, or if it's influenced your approach in any way as well.
1: Yes, Um, one of the programs that I really loved was uh, an initiative that I worked on when I was at W2O. What I realize is oftentimes executive coaching is for the most senior people of the company. But the truth of the matter is the people who often can use coaching the most are people earlier in their careers. Not maybe right when you first come or you first start your career because everything's new. But a few years into your career, that's when you're having challenges with your boss. That's when you're having challenges with the client. That's when you're having challenges with your colleagues. That's when you're really at that moment where you're like, I just don't know what to do. I've tried everything. And we introduced a program there where after you'd been with us for two years, you were able to get your own executive coach. Um, And that, that program led to so many important breakthroughs First of all, it lowered our turnover because people felt invested in. Second of all, people were happier because they learned skills and ways to be able to deal with problems. Um, and third, we were able to teach good behaviors and/or ways of working, so that that influenced other people and how they responded to, and had a f- knock-on effects. So I can't say enough good things about coaching at more junior levels with executive coaches and how that can, even though it's an investment you make, it paid dividends in every which way was invaluable to our people. And it's a program that they still continue to use today.
0: That timing point is such an excellent one because it's so easy to feel like you're faking it till you make it. And then you'll reach a point where you feel like you're at a ceiling where I kind of need that someone to, stop me faking it anymore and give me a bit more certainty on what I should do and talk me through these situations,
1: right? I hate to break it to you. You're faking it always. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. No one's found me out
0: so far though. I'm about 10 yes. years Yes. Well, I,
1: I have to say maybe you're good at hiding it, but I think yeah. the truth of the matter is there's especially right now where there's so many things going on in the world that we can't really draw upon past the past so easily. We're all kind of faking it until we make it and using the best uh information we have and make trying to do the best we can um it never ends the imposter sy- syndrome never ends and maybe yeah. that's good maybe that's good because it makes you keep working to to be better yeah
0: no it's true my dad even up to when he retired he, he used to make a joke like uh when i grow up i still don't know what i want to be when i grow up Yeah, exactly the, it's the other side of the coin you're faking it till you make it and you also never most of the time know where you're going and what you want to do so
1: yeah well you you get better because you have perspective and i think that's something that you that can only happen after years and years of doing something but um i i used to think oh no it's just me the imposter syndrome but actually I think it's pretty widespread. Yeah,
0: 100. (laughs) Whether you admit it or not. Yeah, every everyone you speak to, whether they're right at the start of their career, whether they're CEOs of companies, like they're all. So it's nice because people are so open about it these days about where they feel like maybe they feel like that imposter.
1: Yeah, well, we're all very uneven. So there's things we do that were amazing, and there's things that we're not as amazing at. And I think knowing that about yourself and how to reach out for help for those areas that are not as strong. Um. And if that's imposter, so be it. But I think that's also being real. And I'd much rather people admit and be vulnerable about the things that they don't know and they don't feel so strongly about and get that support than to just fumble through it and feel alone. Yeah.
0: We've mentioned a few times sort of vulnerability, self-awareness, having that perspective as being a great skill for people in a CPO role. But I was curious about... Are there any other qualities you think really are necessary if you're going to be a great CPO and how have you kind of built them?
1: There's a few, there's a few areas I think that are really helpful when you're a CPO. And I don't think that these are definitely unique for being a chief people officer, but I think they definitely help. One of them is good judgment. Sometimes there's no good answer, but if you have good judgment, you can make a call on something and that's inherent to you. I don't think you can necessarily learn good judgment. You can have perspective, but I think being able to um, have a good gut is incredibly important, especially when there's no right answer. I think another thing that's really important is perspective taking. Someone tells you something and you're like, Oh, that must be the truth. It's like, you need to look at it from all different angles. Another piece of that that's related is systems thinking. You have to understand the impact of one thing you do and how it'll affect another part of the of the ecosystem. You do one good thing over here, it can lead to collective disaster in another place. So seeing the system you're in is really important um, as a chief people officer. And then the final thing that I'll say that really can make all the difference is complexity busting. Sometimes we make stuff so hard, it makes it almost impossible to operate or you're explaining a policy and it's just so complicated, how can you make sure that it is at its core easy to understand? How can you make sure that the the complexity is busted so that anybody in the company understands it, anybody can repeat it, and it inherently makes sense? And so those are some of the, the, the features, the good judgment, perspective taking, systems thinking, complexity busting. Those are things I think that are invaluable in the role. Yeah
0: i love that last point a piece of advice i always give to people like non copywriters, is the goal isn't for you to sound smart it's for the reader to understand it and the goal isn't for you to explain everything you know it's to explain the one thing that the person needs to know so like that kind of streamline your writing, streamline your thinking i, I can imagine is massively helpful in, in lnd thank you for listening to another brilliant episode of lnd disrupt the podcast that's powered by how now our learning experience platform helps companies bring relevant learning and skills into the flow of work to make meaningful learning a part of everyday work. But don't just take our word for it. Here's what some of our customers have to say. And if you like what you hear and want to learn more about HowNow, just use the link in the description to book a demo. As a loyal l and Disrupt listener, we'll send you a swag pack containing a copy of the book Learning at Speed and some HowNow merch once we've shown you around. And we needed somewhere to have a central home for all of the learning content that was being created at Pace. And we also really wanted to to, to support a modernized learning. So moving to that 70-20-10 model, where learning is really integrated into the flow of work at the point of need. And we knew that HowNow would be the perfect platform to support with that modernized approach. And I was confident that HowNow was right for FitFlop because it passed the eyeball test at the Learning Technologies Conference, number one. Does it look like it's going to be user-friendly and people might actually want to use it? For my previous companies, I'm used to using very clunky LMSs that don't do much to help with engagement. We've just launched how now actually, um, where I am at the moment with Lucid Group, and um, what we've focused on is the building of habits around learning. So trying to get people into healthy and regular habit of learning so that it becomes an everyday activity as opposed to something they have to take lots of time out. We're very time poor. The tools they've got, the information they need is where they need it at the point. So integrating into Microsoft Teams as we use it or any other collaboration tool, making sure that any learning is accessible at their point of need. So um, where they can ask a search first question and then um, we can provide them the information they need straight away.